So good morning, everyone. Um, if you haven't already found it, if you look below this video, we have posted the worship guide for today. Um, so it's also got our scripture that we're going to be going through today. And we're in Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. So like Jerry mentioned, um, last week we began a new sermon series entitled Come Follow Me. Um, and so we're spending several weeks unpacking what, it, what does it mean to actually follow Jesus? What does he ask of us as his followers? And so Jerry gave us a few definitions last week of what a disciple is. I want to read those to you real quick, just so we all start off on the same page, especially if, you do, if you're not with us last week. Um, so he told us a disciple is someone who follows Jesus and obeys his teachings. A disciple maker is someone who is following Jesus and obeying his teachings, and who shares the gospel with others to help them become Jesus' followers. And lastly, discipling is walking with others to encourage them to daily follow Jesus and obey his teachings. And this is really, really incredibly important for us, because um, we don't want to make the mistake of assuming that a simple prayer of confessing Jesus as Lord is all that it make, uh, means to be a Christian. There's so much more than that. The truth is, that coming to Christ is not the end of something, but it's actually the beginning of something. It's the beginning of a relationship with Jesus. So before we get into today, today's passage, just a little bit of background information for us um, that we need to understand. So this um, particular passage comes at the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. Chapter 7 is the end of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. This is his famous sermon that he gave at the beginning of his earthly ministry. Um, and all throughout the Sermon on the Mount and really throughout his teachings, what he's doing is he's turning upside down the understanding that his people have of what religion means, what it means to follow him. So all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, if you go back and look at it, he's using um, phrases like, you have heard it is said, but I say to you. So for example, in chapter 5, when he's talking about anger, Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. So you see, Jesus, he's making a point with his entire sermon by continually raising the bar of what it means to follow him. He's telling his listeners, you're going to have to be perfect if you want to enter my kingdom. Now, does Jesus truly expect us sinful people to be perfect? Well, of course not. But he does care about our hearts and the condition of those hearts. And that's what he continues to go after all throughout Scripture, and throughout our own lives as well. And then for today, in our particular passage in verses 21 through 23, we need to understand um, what he's talking about. So Jesus, when he says, on that day, as you're going to see here in a minute when I read it, he's talking about the day of judgment. See, the phrase that day is used all throughout Scripture to refer to the day of the Lord, this time where Jesus returns and, and judges the actions of everyone. And so this should really make all of us sit up and, and pay attention because he's giving us a glimpse of what the future holds for us. And he's giving us a warning that all of us need to pay attention to. So why don't we go ahead and read the passage, just a couple of verses. So again, it's Matthew chapter 7, verses 21 through 23. And this is the word of the Lord. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father, who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
So as Jerry mentioned, there's lots of hard passages, and he decided the very first one should be hard and that I should get that, but that's okay. So what you need to know is um, today might be a little bit heavier. It took me the entire week to figure out what does this mean and how do I communicate this um, in a way. So if it's heavy, that's okay. If you have questions, comments, concerns, that's okay too. We want you to share those with us. You can do that live. You can text Jerry as well if you'd like, and potentially we can talk through a few of those here in a few minutes. Um, but if you'll uh, follow along with us, and the PowerPoint is on the screen. So there's three main truths I want us to get today out of today's message. And truth number one is that it is possible to deceive yourself. See, I find this passage to be one of the scariest passages in the Bible, if not the scariest passage. I find it so frightening because Jesus is speaking to a group of people who spend their entire lives believing that they know him believing that they have a relationship with him and are saved and believing that they're going to spend eternity with him. But the fact of the matter is that they're wrong. And I think there's a couple of different groups of people in this passage that are probably fall into this boat that believe that they're following Jesus when in fact they're not. So the first of those two groups of people are those who verbally claim to know Jesus. They're the ones in this passage crying out, Lord, Lord to Jesus. You need to understand that the title Lord, it was used commonly um, by Jewish people to, uh, as a name or a placement for the name Jehovah or Yahweh because they, they believed that those names, those words were too sacred to utter. So instead they used the term Lord um, to refer to God. So for them to call Jesus Lord, they are addressing him as the one true God. And then for them to say, Lord, Lord, they're adding emotion or excitement, and they're giving the impression off that they are truly devoted to him and dedicated to him. These are the people who say that they have faith in Jesus, and they truly do believe that they're saved. But simply only saying that you believe in Jesus, or simply saying that the Bible is full of a lot of true statements, does not guarantee that you're saved. But let me be really careful what, to explain what I mean in this. Because the Bible, it clearly states in Romans chapter 10, verse 13, that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. What I mean is that there are people who think that all they need to do is pray a few words, and then they are good to go. They receive their, their spiritual insurance, so to speak, and they can live their lives however they want to all throughout their lives without a thought of eternity because they've already said a prayer at some point in their lives. And I think that there are many people that fall into this category, especially in the area of, and part of the country in which we live. I think if you were to walk up to a random person, not right now, of course, but when things settle down, if you were to walk up to a random person and ask them if they believe in Jesus, they're probably going to tell you, yeah, of course I do. Most would likely claim that they have a relationship with him. But based on what? Is it based on a prayer that they spoke when they were 10? What do their lives look like right now? What does your life look like right now? Does it look like somebody that has a relationship with Jesus? Or does it look like you have very little to do with it? See, the Bible makes it abundantly clear that to have a relationship with Jesus means that you have an assurance of salvation. And that means that you can be certain that you're saved and that you'll have life um, that over time your life will continue to look like it's producing spiritual fruit. In 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3-11, through 11, um, God's Word, 
it explains to us that we have everything that we need. God's given us everything that we need for a life in godliness. And it tells us that we should make every effort to supplement our faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, steadfastness with godliness, godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. It says, for if these qualities are yours and are increasing... They keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he was cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election. So the question remains is, throughout your life as a believer, is there spiritual fruit? Or did you just simply say a few words at some point in your life? without ever truly turning your heart to Jesus. I think there's also a second group of people in this passage, the ones that believe that they know Jesus when in fact they don't. Um, This second group of people that have deceived themselves, they are those who believe that their religious activity will guarantee them eternal salvation. These people, they may be like the first group of people who made a profession of faith, they verbally said that they believe, But their assurance comes from all that they do for Jesus. They know that they're okay with God because they do so many different things for Him. Or because they're at least not as bad as some of the other people that are around them. In verse 22, Jesus, He describes some of these people. And take a look. These are the people who prophesy in Jesus' name, cast out demons in His name, and do many mighty works in His name. Now think about it, that, that list of activities for just a minute. They are prophesying, casting out demons, and doing mighty, mighty works in His name. Now this doesn't really sound like any simple christian list. I mean, how many of us, how many of you, how many of, you know, for myself, can we say that we've prophesied in Jesus' name, cast out demons, or done many mighty works in His name? Really, this sounds like a list of a Christian superhero or the early apostles or the early church in Acts. This doesn't really sound like something the average Christian typically does in their life. And that makes it all the more shocking to us that these people, these Christian superheroes, if you will, don't make it into heaven. But I think if we think about it, that's, that's probably part of the point. We may look at these activities as being reserved for like the, the spiritual elites, that, um, but for any of us, if we're not even doing those things and we're relying on something else, then what are we putting our faith and hope in? How many of us tend to place our faith in what we can do for Jesus? We may look at attending church or streaming church services or podcasts, singing songs, reading the Bible, going to community groups, or any other Christian activities, all really great activities as being what we place our faith in. But no amount of religious activity can guarantee you access to heaven. And Jesus, He will, he will turn you away because He never knew you, if this is what you place your hope in. The fact of the matter is that these people in this passage, those that maybe made a verbal claim or maybe are relying on their activity, none of them had a real relationship with Jesus. And because they didn't have a relationship with Him, neither their words nor their actions can save them. They believed that a simple prayer without changing their hearts and their lives was all it took. 
They believed that doing the right things was all it took. But the truth is, a simple faithless prayer and a few seemingly religious actions will not get anyone into heaven. And if I'm being honest, I think I probably most identify with this group of people that are doing a lot of religious activities. See, I I know that I'm saved. I know that I have a relationship with Jesus, but I don't always look that way. I may look like it on the outside, where I'm constantly busy doing really good things, really Christian-y type activities. But if I don't keep my heart in check, then I can fall into the trap of doing these things for Jesus, rather than them coming out of a relationship with Him. I'm a really, really good doer, but I'm a really bad abider. What I mean is if you look at John chapter 15, verses 4 and 5, Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. See, this is really, really important and reminder for all of us, especially those of us that tend to do lots of religious stuff. Because apart from Jesus, we can do nothing. And there is no spiritual fruit in our lives, no matter how much we may try to fool ourselves or keep ourselves busy. So don't be deceived. Don't go throughout your life believing that you can do anything for Jesus. Abide in Him. And that brings me to my next point. So truth number two is that a Christ follower is known. See, a true Christ follower is someone who has a relationship with Jesus. And this relationship, it begins with repentance. This is what Jerry taught us about last week. He taught us that repentance is a changing of one's mind, meaning your thoughts. A changing of one's hearts, meaning your affections. And a changing of one's ways, meaning your actions. So through repentance and belief in Jesus Christ and His finished work on the cross, we begin a relationship with Him. But the important fact is that this relationship, it does not end there. It is not simply just claiming that we believe in Him. It's an ongoing relationship with our Lord, our Savior, with Jesus Himself. And through this relationship, we are known. See, this is what was lacking in the hearts of the people in our passage today. It's what's lacking for a lot of people in our Christian culture today as well. In verse 23, Jesus says, And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see, this word know is really important to understand. It's used all throughout the Bible. So if you go back and look in the Old Testament, the word know is oftentimes used to speak of spiritual, spirit, or, sorry, marital intimacy between a husband and wife. And see, the church and the people of God, they are known as the bride of Christ, and He is the bridegroom. So to have a relationship with Jesus is to have an intimate relationship where you are truly known at your core, where you can be open and honest and vulnerable. Your heart is completely exposed to Him and you are accepted and loved because despite your sins, He has covered you with His righteousness. So whenever we are known by God, we have an intimate relationship with Him. And the word to know is also used to speak of God's particular intimacy with His people. So we can be confident that the Lord knows those who take refuge in Him, in Nahum chapter 1. And the Good Shepherd knows His sheep intimately in John chapter 10. 
So the question is not so much, do you know Jesus as your Lord and Savior? But the question is, does he know you as his disciple? Do you have an intimate relationship with him? See, I was researching this sermon and trying to think of ways, like, how do I communicate this? And I found an example from The Voyage of Don Shredder. It's a, a voice, or a voice, a book by C.S. Lewis from the Chronicles of Narnia. And so there, at one point in time, there's a conversation going on between two characters, um, Edmund and Eustace. And so after Edmund is sharing his experiences that he's had with Aslan, who represents or parallels Jesus Christ in the book series, Eustace asks him, but... Who is Aslan? Do you know him? To which Edmund responds, well, he knows me. You see, even more important of whether or not Edmund knew Aslan was the fact that Aslan knew him and had a relationship with Edmund. So there are many people in our lives, in our culture, um, in our churches, in our families that may claim that they know Jesus. And there's a lot of people going throughout their life probably genuinely believing that they do. But potentially they are falsely believing this um, because the sad fact is that he does not know them. You see, there is a difference between knowing Jesus and him knowing you. There's a difference between professing faith in Jesus and busying your life with religious activities and having a relationship with him. So don't let this fact pass you by without seriously taking time this week to pause and, and to study and examine your own heart. The question is, does Jesus know you? Because a Christ follower is known. Now, truth number three for us today, a Christ follower also does the will of the Father. So naturally, our first question has to be when we read this, well, what is the Father's will and how do I do it? So looking back at this passage, look at verse 21. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. So the reason is really important for us to talk about God's will is because Jesus says that's the only way you're going to make it into heaven. And so if you're looking at the, the Gospel of Matthew, looking at the Sermon on the Mount, this is actually the second time that entering the kingdom of heaven has been discussed by Jesus. If you look back at the beginning of his sermon in chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus says, For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. So what, is just, what does Jesus mean here? See, the scribes and the Pharisees, they're all about law-keeping, right? So much so that they took God's law and they added their own laws on top of it. These really, really strict laws. And their thought process was, if we can obey these extra laws, then there is no way that we're ever going to break God's law. So we're safe. We're okay with God. But the issue is that they were completely missing the point. And really, they were more concerned with making themselves look good and making themselves look like they were okay with God. Because the law was never meant to be kept fully. It couldn't be. The law was only meant to highlight their need, our need of a Savior. So Jesus, He's telling us here, there is no way that you can enter the kingdom of heaven on your own. It's impossible. You can't do it. Obeying God's will can't be done out of our own efforts. It comes from a heart. Obedience comes from a heart that is both repentant and renewed. It comes from a person who has a relationship with Jesus. Obeying the Father's will can only be accomplished by those 
who have been given the righteousness of Jesus and through the gift of the Holy Spirit as well. In Philippians 2.13, it tells us that it is God who works in you both to will and to work for His good pleasure. So the only way that we could ever obey the Father's will is through the help of the Holy Spirit. In fact, the only way that we would ever have a desire to obey His will is through the Holy Spirit. And so with God's help, a Christ follower, a disciple of Jesus that does the Father's will is the person who repents, believes, confesses that Jesus is Lord, and then through a relationship with Him, they can obey all the things outlined in Scripture. Things that you see in the Sermon on the Mount, like they can mourn over their sins and the sins of those around them. They can be meek in their relationships with others. They can hunger and thirst for righteousness. They can be merciful to others. They can be pure in heart. They can be peacemakers. They can be persecuted for their faith in Jesus. They are the salt and the light of the earth. They can make disciples and so many other things that we are commanded to do in Scripture. All these things can come out of a relationship with Jesus. You see, all throughout Scripture, a Christ follower, a disciple, is described. And the standards that the Bible sets for a Christ follower, they're really, really high. So Jesus, He isn't telling us to outdo the Pharisees in Scripture. He isn't telling us to fill our lives with even more religious activities to, um, to make it look like we're okay, to make it look like we're good Christians. What He wants from us in our hearts is a relationship with Him. And out of that relationship will flow all of these good fruit, all of these activities that He has called us to do. All these things that are described in Matthew 7, John 3, James 2, all these things come out of, stem out of a relationship with Him. So the evidence of our faith is not a life that looks like it's perfect, but instead it's a life that's continually growing in Christ's likeness and continues to produce spiritual fruit. So I think this passage, it's a, it's a dire warning for each of us. We need to examine our hearts and really ask ourselves, do I truly love Jesus? Do I have a relationship with Him and does He know me? If the answer to any of these questions is yes, then we have complete assurance of salvation. And we will continue to see that evidence of our relationship with Him throughout our lives as, as fruit continues to be produced and as we grow in Christ-likeness. But if the answer is not a yes to any of those questions, then you really need to question whether or not you have a relationship where you are known by Jesus. And you need to, to reach out and to, to talk to somebody else about this. So I think out of this passage, as we look at what does it mean to be a disciple, to be a Christ follower, there's a few basic action steps that we can take. Um, just little baby steps to kind of begin this process and to really ensure that we're having a relationship with Jesus where He knows us. So I want to just suggest these few act, action steps to you. It's not an exhaustive list of next steps. It's just a place to begin. So the first thing I really want to call each of us to do, and you've got plenty of time to do it probably this week, um, is self-examination. So the, one of the reasons in our passage today that there are many people going throughout their lives that are believing that they know Jesus when in fact they don't is because they're self-deceived. Is because they never took the time to really stop and look at their hearts. So I want to encourage you, especially as we're facing this time of uncertainty, to, to take some time this week, take time today, to begin to, to look at the condition of our hearts. 
to begin to ask ourselves, do I have a genuine relationship with Jesus? So let's not be counted among those that go throughout their lives thinking that they know Jesus when in the, in the end, in fact, they don't. This is Jesus' warning to you today. It is a warning to me today. And he's inviting each of us to have a relationship with him. He wants us to be known by him intimately because he cares about the condition of our hearts. There's a couple of places where we see that this is true. If you look in 1 Corinthians 11, 28, God's word tells us to examine ourselves every time that we take communion. And in 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Paul says, examine yourselves to see whether or not you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Or do you not realize this about yourselves, that Jesus Christ is in you, unless indeed you fail to meet the test? So the first step for each of us is to take some time now, take some time this week to examine and test our hearts and to know whether or not we are known by our Savior. The second step um, for each of us is some spiritual disciplines. So truly the most important relationship that any of us can have in this world is our relationship with Jesus Christ. And the key word in that is a relationship. That's what we have to remember is that it's a two-way relationship with Him. It takes time, effort, conversation. It takes love as well. See, no earthly relationship ever lasts without any of these things. If you think about the average Christian and and their experience with church, they probably spend one and a half hours each week at church. They spend another one and a half to two hours in community group. Maybe they occasionally pray in the mornings or evenings or maybe before meals or when life gets really, really hard like right now. Maybe they spend a lot of time praying. But if that's all that there is, then this is a really, really bad relationship. See, if I did the same thing with my wife, with Rachel, my relationship with her would be over before the end of the week. If I'm like, hey, babe, I'm going to spend one and a half hours with you, you know, one day a week. And, oh, don't worry, another day of the week, I'm going to get a few friends together for a couple of hours. We're going to talk about how great you are. If you want to come to that, you're, you're more than welcome to. And then I'll call you once in the morning, once at night. If life gets hard, I'll, I'll, phone, I'll give you a, a phone call as well and just kind of check in with you. If that's all I did with her, then I would be uh, sleeping on the couch here at the office pretty quick. But this is how a lot of us tend to treat our relationship with Jesus. We give him very little thoughts and little attention, and little of our hearts. In Matthew 20, uh, chapter 22, we are told to love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. We're to love God with every part of ourselves. And this is going to take effort at first. That's why they're called spiritual disciplines. It requires effort. And there are so many different disciplines that are important for us to, to engage in in our lives. But I think if we can start with even just a few basic steps, over time they won't be so much require so much discipline anymore, but instead they'll, they'll be a, a joy for us. And they'll stem out of our intimate relationship with Him. So I think if you can do a few things, even starting this week, if you can just commit yourself to, to study and meditate on God's Word every day, if you can commit to praying and, and talking with Jesus every day, commit to worship with God in your life, and even commit to sharing your faith with others through evangelism. I think if you can do those few small steps a little bit at a time, then our relationship with God will be so much deeper and richer. 
And you'll begin to see that spiritual uh, fruit that should be seen of a true Christ follower, a true disciple. And it will make any other discipline, spiritual discipline, that much easier. And then, of course, the third step for us that I want each of us to do today is to ask ourselves, do I truly love Jesus? And, and don't glaze over that question. You really need to spend time and ask God to reveal to your heart the truth to that question. Do I love Jesus and does he know me? So spend this entire week thinking about those things. Pray to God about those things and really wonder and, and understand, do I have an intimate relationship with Jesus? Because a Christ follower, a true disciple, they are known. This is what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, is to have a relationship with him first. As we are following him and obeying his commands, we, we step into to doing the same thing with others, where we disciple other pe people and encourage them to do the same thing in their own life as well. So if you will, let's spend just a few seconds. Just, just think about these truths. I'll give you a few seconds of silence, and then I'll close this out in prayer. And then we'll see if anybody has any, any questions that they've kind of sent in. And if not, um, then we'll close out our service. So let's just pause for a few seconds and really think about what God's Word has said to us today. Jesus, we, we thank you that you are a God who reveals himself to us. Um, you revealed yourself uh, by coming to this world, but also through your Word. And so we're thankful for your word that um, it speaks truth to us and it's able to, to pierce our hearts and to expose what's there and also to, to just help us to, to see what you have called us to. Um, and sometimes in your word, it's, it's really, um, it gives us lots of energy and joy and hope, but also sometimes it's really, really hard. And today's passage is hard for us to grapple with, to understand, um, but I pray that through your word that you will just speak to us, that you will help us to understand exactly the condition of our hearts, to help us to understand if we have a relationship with you, or even if we do, to help us to, to realize that uh, we need to love you with every part of ourselves. And so I ask that you will just reveal the true condition of each of our hearts to us this week, that you will speak to us, help us to know where we are, um, and inspire each of us to be known by you, to not only know you, but also to be known in return. Um, and it's just amazing to us that the God of the universe even wants to have a relationship with us and wants to know us at an intimate level. So I ask that you'll just help each of us this week um, as we examine our hearts, as we seek to engage in spiritual disciplines, to, to really get into your word and spend time with you. Um, just help us to, to build these things that we may grow in our understanding of the love that you have for us. Be with us, guide and direct us, Father. Be our, our source of hope, our source of strength, and our salvation. And we thank you and praise us in the name of Jesus. Amen.